Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games in the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Lawrence and I'm joined by... This is Dan. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome. How are you today? I'm okay. I am in um, mega coordination mode at the moment, trying to get lots of things done at once. So I'm juggling. Um, Squidly diddly, as I've uh, ah, yes. said before. But um, That's what yeah, we call a callback. Yes, a throwback to Squidly diddly. Uh, That's right. So, yeah, hopefully within the next three three weeks it will have calmed down a bit because it is chaotic at the moment. And you can um, just, be, just be a diddler then and not squiddly diddly. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there you go. So how are you, Mr. Diddler? Uh, well, no, that's you actually in three weeks. But I'm quite well, uh, thank you. No squiddlying or diddlying. Um, just... <laughs> Just floating along as usual. Um, there you go. You didn't expect to be called a diddler at the start of this uh, this episode, did you? Breaking new ground. That's that's exactly right. Um, and quite the opposite of bracing new ground. Today we're going over old-ish ground. Um, we did mention in our last episode that we'd be recording God of War. Twenty eighteen is the next episode. Uh, but we've had to move some things around. So God of War will be our episode next week, uh, whilst we both put a bit more time into finishing that. So in terms of uh, going over old ground, we're going back to a game that we've um, that we've reviewed in part a couple of times already on the podcast, but this will be the last instalment um, where we discuss today the Orange Box collection. Now, we've already covered um, Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and Portal. So today we're going to be focusing on the two final games in the collection, which is Half-Life 2 Episode 2 and Team Fortress 2. So as a little bit of a reminder, the Orange Orange Books, Orange Box came out in 2007 with a score of 96 and it comes in at number 22 on the list. Uh, It was developed and released by Valve, as were all the games on the list. And just to, to cover all bases, Half-Life well, all 2 episode... All the games ever on the list. That's correct. All, every single game. Um, but just to, to cover all bases, Half-Life 2 Episode 2 also came out in 2007, as did Team Fortress 2. So, our last episode on the Orange Box, which was Half-Life 2 Episode 1, we released that back in January of this year. We're now in almost in October, so it's been about 10 months almost. Wow. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem time that long flies. ago. I know. Time flies when you're having fun. So, Do you know, um, off the top of your head, when we recorded um, the original Half-Life 2 Episode 2 episode, was Half-Life that 2 episode. at some point, but when? Um, I can have a quick look now, and I can remove any pause with editing. The 8th of July, 2021. And before that, not long before that, I think we played Half Life One. So yeah, we've we've had a bit of a Half Life roller coaster. The journey is not over yet. There is one final Half Life game. Half Life on One, fifteenth of October, twenty twenty. Wow! So two years ago. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, we played the first Half Life. 
that still feels quite recent. I know, weird, isn't it? Yeah, we've been. Yeah, we've, so we were long in the tooth. Now we've been at this for a while. Yeah, and we've still got a final Half Life game to play on the list, which is Half Life Alex, um, which we'll come to eventually. Um, yeah, of which you now have the, uh, the well, some you're closer to having the Half. capabilities to playing as yeah. you've uh, you've upgraded your equipment, haven't you? Yeah, so I've got myself a, a medium to high end, uh, sort of in between gaming laptop, um, which will run Half Life Alex quite easily. But yeah, I still need to purchase the old um, VR setup of some sort. Yeah, that's that's the big thing, isn't it? Uh, trying yeah. to find a trying to find a VR, but. Um... Yes, we uh, we're deviating from the script that we do not have written out, just the the general scriptedness of our conversations, which we make as we go along. So, firstly, what is firstly what version of this did you play, and secondly, what's your history, please? Um, so, I will probably abridge this version, uh, this uh, description, as we've obviously done quite a few games on the Orange Box yeah. now. Um, yeah, so played it on the Series X. Uh, there's the version that's available via backwards compatibility, which is the Xbox 360 version. Um, I have completed Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Episode 1, Half-Life 2 Episode 2 before. Um, also completed Half-Life 1 before we played it for the list as well. So um, yeah, de- decent enough experience with the Half-Life games and... Um, yeah, so I was replaying this for the list. Um, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, so we, we've gone over it a few times, like you say, that this was all of the Half-Life games. It was my first time playing them. Uh, there's no difference here with um, with Half-Life 2 Episode 2. I was listening back to the Episode 1 um, episode earlier, and I realised I played that on Steam um, on my laptop, but whereas oh. this time I played it on... Um, on the Xbox 360 backwards compatibility on the Xbox, which proved to be a massive headache because I recently changed my gamer tag um, and led me to almost having a minor temper loss. But um, my Xbox is living to fight another day. Um, and just just to go over Team Fortress 2 as well, what's your history with that? Uh, no history with Team Fortress 2. Um it was always the game in the orange box that I never really tried. Uh, I always like the look of it. I think it's got a great art style. Yeah. But I was, as I've said before, uh, during the podcast, I'm not the biggest multiplayer player. Um, so, yeah, I didn't really dip my toes into that. So I don't know if you can call this a brief excursion, what we've played of um, Team Fortress 2, but it was my first time playing. I use that term loosely. Yeah, it, it, I was I was explaining, I was explaining how we did um, Team Fortress Two to um, listener of the show and friend George earlier because uh, he was interested in Team Fortress and you and me had a bit of difficulty with with this one um, playing it on the old Xbox, which we'll get into. Um, but let's first focus on Half Life Two Episode Two as we've um, we've got kind of a an arc that covers almost two years of this series, so. What is the plot, please, of Half-Life 2 Episode 2? So Half-Life 2 Episode 2 is a continuation, obviously, of Half-Life 2 Episode 1. Um, You kick off quite literally where you left off last time at the end of Episode 1, which is you've just had a train accident 
and you are trying to get the data that you retrieved from the Citadel to um, the scientists, um, including your father. And basically, the game is the journey um, with you and Alex and occasionally Dog and some of the Vortigon and uh, the journey to those scientists and along the way Alex gets injured and she is healed and you eventually make your way there you protect the base from various I think they're called stalkers and war of the world looking things yeah and you give the data to the scientists they fire a missile into somewhere which apparently works um there's a cliffhanger in that so spoilers for anyone that hasn't played the game or isn't aware um there is talk of a ship a, a mythical ship that um uh, turns out to be real and you are talking about saving i can't remember her name but it's one of the doctors yeah um from the ship and that's kind of where the cliffhanger kicks in and also um alex's dad um is killed right at the end and then the game ends yeah the 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 game just kind of closes with her crying over his corpse which is uplifting um but yeah it's it's a little bit longer than episode one was because that one was super short um and this one frustratingly my issues that i had with my xbox was i recently changed my gamer tag on uh, xbox one and in doing so it's locked me out of getting to my accounts on the backwards compatible xbox 360 element of the xbox series x and um what that's meant is i now have to sign out of my old profile which is still against my email address re-sign in but for some reason, the Xbox 360 only has um, password capabilities of anything up to 16 characters, and my passwords tend to be longer than that, so I can't physically put in my my password to sign in. So my issue with Half-Life 2 Episode 2 was I got about three and a half hours in, I got I got up to the bit with the, um, what they call the stalker things, the, the War of the Worlds looking thing, so I think it was yeah. quite close to the end really. Um, and I then accidentally exited the game and because I wasn't signed into Xbox Live it wouldn't let me save and I lost all my progress um, which led to the uh, the minor temper loss I said some swear words um, and I then had to watch the final kind of like 45 minutes I think um, on YouTube which was frustrating because I made the time to complete it in one sitting but technicalities and stuff but here we are so in terms of Comparing episode two to the other Half-Life games that we've covered, being Half-Life, Half-Life 2 and Half-Life 2 episode one, where would you stack this in terms of story, gameplay, visuals? In terms of what has changed, not much really. So graphically, it's the same beast. Yeah. Um, there, may be, there may be minor enhancements here and there, but um, more or less the same thing. What you do get is you get a return of some weapons um, that I don't think appeared in Half-Life 2 Episode 1. Um, for example, the crossbow. Uh, that makes a return. You also get some new um, weapons in, in that you get the... Um, I can't think what they're called, but they're special kind of like sticky bomb that yeah. you use on the stalkers at the end. Um, and you use your gravity guns to fire those. They're quite cool. 
and all the physics stuff is back here. You've got some interesting ones. Maybe not as um, not as uh, challenging as the ones in the main game, but there's still some pretty good ones here. Um, in terms of gameplay, it's the same sort of thing, which is um, your your it's a first person shooter. You're yeah. working your way through the world. Um, the cutscenes play um, with you not restricted in your movement, so you are still playing the game, and uh, the events are unfolding around you, which some of them are really good and it kind of dawned on me how this game was doing that stuff before a lot of games were doing that stuff um so that's cool and yeah you've got a lot of set pieces in there uh that, that are all playable but yeah that, that's um essentially what it is and more, more of the same but i'm going to make a bold statement here which is that i think it's the finest um of the half-life 2 games it was kind of all the learnings of both games in this trimmed down uh, version, which doesn't have any of the the grind or the fat of Half-Life 2. And it's a much more complete game than Half-Life 2 Episode 1. So I think it's probably the best of the Half-Life 2 games. Um, bold statement there, but there you go. Um, what do you think? It, uh, like you say, it's the same effectively as, as Episode 1, really. And I made a comparison because I said um, about Half-Life 2, so original Half-Life 2, that the storytelling in that game is primarily environment, st- environmental storytelling. Um, there isn't much emphasis on cutscenes and stuff like that. There's a few bits, but like nothing major. Then Episode 1 felt like it was lending less into the environmental storytelling and more into telling a story um, in like the, the conventional way. Whereas with episode two, I feel it kind of walks the line a little bit. Um, you've got you know some cutscenes where, like you say, you're running around and doing stuff, but then there is quite a lot of environmental storytelling in this as well. Not as much as there was in the original Half Life Two, but there's there's more than what I remember them being in episode one. If that makes sense, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. I, I'll call it a set piece because it's not really a cutscene is later on when dog is fighting a stalker yeah you're still completely in control but you've got this really quite epic scene playing out in front of you and that's when i noted that the animation is really cool and it's all running in game obviously and i thought it's quite an impressive thing considering for a very long time especially around this period it wasn't really the done thing um often games would pre-record their cutscenes, yeah render them and here it was all happening in game. Not only was it happening in game, but you still had complete control, so you could view that scene from any angle you wanted. And I found that really impressive. And I think it is owed to the animation um, and the tightness of that scene, particularly that that made it dawn on me. And it does that a lot. You will see characters reacting in, uh, to each other whilst you're standing on top of a cupboard for fun. Um, and they will glance at you while they're talking to each other yeah. uh, to gauge your reaction, whereas you're still sitting on top of that cupboard crouched down, so it looks quite funny. <laughs> yeah. That was you, my that was my experience. You made that comment in episode one as well about um, <laughs> like the, the, the eye tracing of Alex and stuff. Her, like, she, her head will follow you around the room and stuff like that, um, which I think is pretty impressive for 2007 to yeah. the point where you know we notice something like that. Um but showing some showing some love to to Team Fortress Two because we, we we need to cover that as well, which I think 
most people would understand isn't as much of the focus um, in the orange box as say Half-Life is or Portal was um, because it isn't a story-based game, it's a multiplayer. But do you want to give a bit of a a background on what Team Fortress 2 is? Yeah, and I think I will start that by saying how we um, played Team Fortress 2. With difficulty. Um, so when we went on to the... Uh, Team Fortress 2 part of the orange box. Bearing in mind, we both played this on Xbox. Indeed, yeah. And, and I tried to start a game and um, I couldn't find a game. And I tried to host a game and I couldn't uh, start a game because there were no players. It may have been the time that I was playing, but I suspect that if people are still playing Team Fortress 2, they're playing on PC, um, not on the old Xbox 360 version. So... I was a bit limited in what I could do and what I wanted to do at the very least was run around the levels and see how the game felt to play. So there is a director's commentary mode where you can play the game, you can run around the levels and you can access director's commentary for the game. So that's what I did and um, gave me a feel for the shooting and the mechanics. It seemed like quite a fast paced game. Um, I love the art style. I think I'd have really enjoyed this at the time and it was interesting getting some insights into why they did some of the things that they did and why they went for that art style rather than a re- realistic art style. Um, the levels are very big. and Yeah, they are. Um, and it, it seems to me that there's a lot of capture the flag stuff about them. So it's mm-hmm. all team-based. Um, yeah, I, I, from the little that I played of it, it seemed like it was probably quite a good game. And I can understand why people liked it. Um, yeah. Anything to add? The, the the thing that I picked up from Team Fortress, and I agree with you, if we'd have maybe played this game on PC, we might have been able to find a match or something. Um, but the turnaround on this episode was quite tight as we, we decided to switch things around at the last minute. Um, so we didn't have time to really explore, I suppose. But the one thing that I kind of took from what we did do on Team Fortress, which, same as you, was just the director's commentary sections, which was, it gives you an idea, but it's minimal. Um, And it's probably been likened to it quite a few times, but this game gave me very serious Overwatch vibes. Um, And I think that what Blizzard, I think it's Blizzard that made Overwatch, what Blizzard have done with Overwatch, I think they probably took quite a lot of inspiration from Team Fortress 2. Um because there are specific classes that you play as for for d- different things. And the thing with Team Fortress 2 is that the, the characters don't have character names. They're just called their own classes. So, you know, you've got the heavy, you've got the soldier, you've got um, the scouts, the sniper, the spy. Um, there's a load of different... Uh, the pyro as well. You've got loads of different classes, and that's what they're just called. And Overwatch is very class-based in terms of its combat. So it was giving me quite strong Overwatch vibes, which I think I was expecting because of the art style and stuff. Um, But yeah, it's a shame that this game isn't as accessible as the others because it is a multiplayer game. Um, So obviously your your, your options do get limited the older this this game gets. And like we said, this came out in 2007. Um, But it certainly felt tight it felt like it would be an interesting game to play and i know that team fortress 2 is quite renowned for showing up in other other games and other series and stuff um 
And yeah, I, I don't know if there's a big calling for Team Fortress 3, but with this being Valve, they just don't seem to like making third installments of games, do they? So uh... Yeah, an interesting thing to note is that um, one of the first things you hear in the director's commentary is that it took nine years yeah. to make. And the comment was that they at Valve will take as long as they feel they need to release something. I think that's readily apparent from the lack of um, a Half-Life 3. And I thought it's interesting to trace all the way back here that that was the mentality here. Um, so that maybe gives a bit of insight to the way that Valve runs as a company. And really at this time, and, and even now, I mean... Rockstar's had a few diminishing returns. For example, the um, the GTA trilogy um, remaster, which wasn't so successful, and uh, some other odd games that didn't do quite so well. But uh, Valve, I mean, their output is very, very, very infrequent, but still very, very high quality. Almost everything they release is, is critically acclaimed. I mean, Half-Life Alex came out and immediately came onto the Metacritic Top 100 list. Well, the thing so... with the thing with Valve as well is they don't need to create games or create content to bring in money because obviously they have Steam no. and <clears throat> Steam is really the the place to to get your games online and to play games online. Obviously you've got things like the Epic Store and uh, a few other a few other things like that, but Steam really is the, the controlling body of of online gaming on PC. Um yeah. So Valve have never really had a financial need to, to rush games out to, to make money to stay afloat because Steam just covers them and, you know, more. Um, but it is interesting because, you know, you've got Half-Life that didn't have a third instalment. You've got Team Fortress that didn't have a third instalment. You've got Portal that hasn't had a third instalment. You've got Left for Dead that didn't have a third instalment. There are all these really popular and well-known Valve games and franchises that just never got a third instalment. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if they ever do. And obviously there's the argument that maybe Half-Life Alex um, could take that, that spot of, of Half-Life 3, but I, I don't know how Half-Life fans would, would, would feel about that. I don't know. I, I don't know what the story is for that game, so I don't know how well it... It seems to have satisfied some people, but I don't know how well it ties up the loose ends that were left by Half-Life 2. Um, I did hear rumours about... I mean, these days you can't take rumours seriously, but I did hear rumours about a Portal 3 recently. Um, so we'll see if that leads to anything. Maybe, perhaps. I'd be, uh, I'd be in. I'd be all over that. Um, so going back then to um well to either of these games but I think we're probably going to be more focused on Half-Life 2 here but going to gameplay as king um firstly do you think this game's fun yeah I, I do think it's fun um it definitely has the odd bits that go on a little bit too long but they yes. don't seem to be as frequent as in Half-Life 2 episode 1 where one of my complaints was the section at the end where you're ferrying um, soldiers. Oh yeah, that forwards. was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't fun. No. Um, so, so the the section here um, is there's an underground section with um, alien creatures that just goes on too long for my liking. And it's the lion things, not... isn't it? I can't yeah, what yeah. Called. And 
and it's not the game at its finest that the environments aren't that interesting um there's a cool section where you're setting up um sentry turrets and you're fighting off the ant lions and uh, you get the, the the heavy music kicking in which i always love in the in these games because it really amps you up that was cool um and and other than that i feel like it, it kind of um went at quite a pace and then didn't really let up until the very end so um it's quite impressive really that that was the only uh down point but it came quite early in the experience so mm. uh, yeah i think this game is definitely fun and as i said i think it's probably the finest um version of half-life 2 and uh, a refinement in terms of the gameplay in terms of the set pieces in terms of all that stuff over the other games yeah and do you have a favourite move or favourite item? Um, I still like I still like the two things that I liked in Half Life Two, the original, um, which were the crossbow and the uh, gravity gun. Yeah, I think they're still very very fun to use. They were what I was defaulting to. The revolver is also a lot of fun. Um, yeah, that was going to be my two: the gravity gun and the revolver. The revolver's great fun because it just does a lot of damage so you can take out enemies very easily um you've got the pulse rifle in there that's fun as well all of the weapons have secondary fire um which is always nice and you've got the rocket launcher as well i mean there's a great section in terms of design towards the end which is the stalker battle you basically got this large field with pathways through it and the stalkers are coming at you from all angles and um you have to take down the stalkers one by one and you've got a car at your disposal you've got these sticky bombs you've got other soldiers also fighting you're driving backwards and forwards it's it's just a nice piece of design to really cap off the game and much more satisfying than carting soldiers backwards and forwards yeah as in half-life 2 episode 1 yeah it got very old very quickly that did um i, I was glad to kind of see the back of that um, and I, I agree with you. There were tedious bits in this one, particularly at the start when you're you're in the underground base protecting Alex being healed. Um, but yeah, so if we move on, then we've we've discussed all of the Half Life games now, and we've discussed um, briefly Team Fortress Two. We've played Portal, and obviously we've played Half Life One, but that isn't in the orange box. So give me your your thoughts and obviously not not your final thoughts but what are your overall thoughts of the orange box as a whole i think and i thought this at the time i think the orange box was one of the biggest or greatest um pieces of value um that gamers have ever seen in a modern day where games are more and more is being charged for games and we're kind of getting less and less and then those games are filled with microtransactions and various additions and i mean we could we could talk um for a long time about the way yeah gaming landscape is changing but this game came out regular price i think it was probably around 40 pounds and for that 40 pound obviously 40 great british pounds here in the uk um obviously that 40 pounds got you Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Episode 1, Half-Life 2 Episode 2, Portal, which had never been released um, as a standalone before, and Team Fortress 2. That was unheard of at the time, and looking back, 
it's a really special thing that they did and it's Valve doing that kind of, or, or walking that path at least trodden that they usually walk. Um, I don't think Valve's a perfect company. I think there's a lot of improvements that could be made with Steam. There's something to be said about the monopoly that Steam has on the PC market, but in terms of the games they release and in terms of the Orange Box particularly, I think it's such an impressive piece of value. Um, and all of the games in there are good games. There's no weak link. Um, there are some that stand up better than others. Yeah. But yeah, it's an impressive thing. Yeah, I think with with the orange box, I, I agree with you, it is good value. And, I mean, you think about Half-Life 2 on its own is quite a long game. Um, Portal is kind of mid-length. And then you've got episode one and two, which I'd say together probably make up the length of uh, like a short game. Um, and then Team Fortress 2 is infinite um, in terms of how much time you spend on it if you can find people that are still playing it. But it it brings me into the question of the week, really. So, you, you I mean, I know you remember because we were buying the games at the time, but if you think back to like 20... 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, when um, PlayStation and Xbox were doing all those HD collection games. Do you remember? So you had Silent Hill, uh, you had the Tomb Raider games, you had MGS 2, 3, and Peace Walker. Loads of um, companies were making HD collections of games. But to my knowledge, I've never seen anything like the Orange Box collection from another company. You know, you've got um ubisoft making like the Ezio collection for assassin's creed and things like that but i've never seen to my knowledge a company that's brought out a game with three separate ips in there all in one place um you you just don't really you don't really see it there's one there is one game that comes to my mind oh go on um I don't think you ever bought it, but it's something that we will be, uh, or maybe, I can't think what's on the list, but, so, the Rare Replay Collection, which was £40, or £40 or £50, and it had about 15, 20 games from Rare, um, including remasters, where they were available. And uh, I think most of them were actually remastered to some degree. Um, you had like Banjo Kazooie, you had um, Conker's Dark, Bad Fur Day. Conker's Bad Fur Day, you had um, Diddy Kong. You had Viva Pinata um, 1 and 2. Um, Diddy Kong was not in there because it's Nintendo owned. Ah. Um, so it didn't make an appearance. But uh, you had um, some other games in there, some of the more obscure. Um, Grabbed by the Ghoulies is a is a rare game that was in there. Um, yeah, some of these games that were remastered from IPs that a lot of people hadn't played for a long, long time, and that's the only other one. And I, the only reason I think that was released, and it was quite a quirky release, was because of Microsoft and their, I'd say, proven love for backwards compatibility. Um, but you're right, apart from that, I can't really think of anything else quite like this. Um, it was a very curated collection. It wasn't just a cash grab. 
it was here are our games this is what we are um and we're proud of this and yeah i, I feel like that's been lost a bit but that's probably a different conversation yeah it, it's kind of like the equivalent of if nintendo um released a game and in it um it had i don't know mario sunshine star fox adventures pokemon coliseum and maybe something else it's that kind of level i mean can you think of any other companies where you think okay that selection of games in something similar to the orange box would be great like can you think of anything that that would work like that and obviously you've mentioned rare and rare is its own thing isn't it very similar to to valve um but can you think of anything else that would potentially be able to do that and live up to the not the hype i guess but would be able to live up to something like that um i think nintendo could do it they've got infinite number of dead ips live ips dormant ips they've got games which apparently were completed and never released there was the famous star fox 2 um and i think that was released as part of uh the Switch Online in the end. So, and there are other games that are rumoured to have been completed and it was rumoured for a long, long time that um, Pikmin 4 had been completed years and years ago and now it's finally going to see a release. So, yeah, I think Nintendo could do it. I don't think they ever would, but I think they've they've got the, the potential to do countless collections like this and fill them with quirky things that people have never seen before because they're very secretive and there's probably a lot going on there um, that you you don't really know about in terms of completed games or prototypes or stuff like that. And uh, so I think they could do it. Um, uh, I don't really know anyone else. No, I I was thinking maybe, maybe Sega um, perhaps, or Back in the late 90s, early noughties, you, you might have Universal that could maybe do something because they had IPs with like Spyro uh, and I think they had Crash Bandicoot as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's such a, such a rarity, isn't it, that something like this would come along and A, would have the consumer's best interests at heart putting four games into the price of one, like you say, 40, 40 quid back in 2007 that's insane that's an insanely good deal um and you do have things i don't know if it's still ongoing but it was a few years ago you've got things like the humble bundle um where you could get pc games for you know a a donation effectively um but yeah you you don't really see stuff like that anymore and i think it would be fantastic if more companies did that even if it was with their older older titles you know just putting them in a collection for people particularly the titles that aren't as easily accessible anymore, like you say with N64 games or with PS1 games or, you know, Dreamcast, the games where people don't really have the consoles and those are the only ways to play them. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought it'd be interesting to explore that a bit. And I, I hadn't even thought of Rare Replay, but that's a really good shout. Um, and, you know, that's a really good and easy way to play games like Conker's Bad Fur Day because if you've got a, co- a copy of Conker's Bad Fur Day these days on N64 um, you know, h- hold on to it because that's worth a few quid especially if it's boxed I, I, I can't remember if I told you a couple of years ago I saw a um, a copy of Conker's Bad Fur Day in the box in the window of um, CEX and to anyone that isn't British CEX is kind of like um, a bit like GameStop I think 
in the US. Um, but yeah, I saw a I saw a boxed copy of Con- Conquer's Bad Fur Day, and I think it was about two hundred quid. Um, yeah, it sounds about right. It's crazy. So you know, collections like these, to some extent, would make so many games more accessible to people. But a lot of companies just don't want to do something like that, do they? Which is a shame. Um, of course, um, Rare Replay available on Game Pass. So mm, yeah, exactly. Which is, I'm pretty sure, how I played Perfect Dark for the podcast. Yeah. Um, Same. Okay, so before we before we wrap up on these these two games, and I realise this has been more Half Life heavy than than Team Fortress, um, yeah. but there is only so much we can say about a game that we can't really access. Um, again, issues of of age, I suppose, and and where we played our own it. Negligence. Yes, it's our own age that comes into it. Um, but we, we've mentioned that the games both look very good. They look crisp, particularly upscaled on um, on Xbox Series X. Um, but in terms of the sound, is there anything that you want to want to mention there? Um, I think you said it earlier, and I think um, not enough good things can be said about not only the head tracking, as we mentioned earlier, when. Um, characters look at you while they're talking it's amazing how that small touch can make you just feel more involved in the world just a just a glance of the head back at you um, and you are moving around and they're still looking at you in fact I can't think of many games now that do that let alone back then because it's still very cutscene heavy in gaming today um, so yeah that, that that's a big thing and I think um, the, the facial tech that they were using Alex's face is still very expressive. Um, yes, it's a bit... It's not realistic. The, the graphics are a little bit cartoony, but it's still very expressive. She's still an incredibly relatable character. The voice work is still top-notch. Um, and the soundtrack is still good. And as I said, when, when the heavy metal kicks in when you're playing and it kicks in at the right moments, in those moments where you think, OK, let's do this. Like, for example... Um, when all four tunnels full of ant lions are coming at you and then the music kicks in. Yeah. Whereas you might have previously been thinking, oh, not another round. And then the music kicks in and you think, okay, let's do this. And then when uh, you, you, you're fighting one stalker at a time and then it all goes to hell and then you get to fight like four or five at once um, and the music kicks in and you think, yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Um, m- m- music has right such a... Move. Music has such a big impact, doesn't it? Like if you remember when you and me were doing the bit at the end of Halo 3... When um, we we both kept dying on that bit where you're trying to escape the um, I think the car yeah and the car and the music like, keeps kicking in <laughs> and we heard that music start so many times because we both just kept getting absolutely wiped out but the music makes made it feel idiots. so much more epic yeah that's funny yeah you, it it does have such a, such a big effect doesn't it and I agree like on on those bits where like you say maybe it got a bit tedious the music kicks in and you know it does make things stand out. Um, so I suppose that being said then we've, we've covered Half-Life 2 we've covered Half-Life 2 Episode 1 we've covered Half-Life 2 Episode 2 we've covered Portal and we have now covered Team Fortress 2 as well so that concludes the Orange Box as a, as a grouping of games and I'm sure you can probably understand listener why we've had to break them up because talking about um, 5 games 30 to 40 hours plus Team Fortress 2 yeah, it, uh, it would have been a lot. It would have been quite a lot. And I'm quite glad that we've done this because otherwise I'd have been massively burnt out on Half-Life and I would have hated it. Um, 
Yeah. So overall then, the Orange Box comes in at number 22 on the list with a score of 96. Uh, what do you reckon? Do you think it deserves to be here? Yeah, we, we always had the difficult proposition at the end of the individual episodes on these games of saying whether that particular one deserved to be there. But now we get to say once and for all whether the Orange Box deserves to be there. And here is where you get my emphatic, yeah, I think this game deserves to be on the list for numerous reasons. I think um, the value proposition is is one thing. Um, the fact that they are five great games, generally speaking, yes, there are low points in there, as with any game, but five well-made great games that have stood up really quite well. Um and there are real high points in there as well. I'm sure, for example, you remember um, the section in Half-Life 2 where you're crossing the bridge on the girders and yep. you're above the water and just things like that. There's some great moments in there. There's some great physics puzzles. These games really did... I think the modern shooter owes these games everything. I think Modern Warfare, which is the one that we always harken back to, I think that owes a debt to Half-Life 2 and I think that game wouldn't have been what it was without Half-Life 2 um, so these games were instrumental to the modern shooter these games have held up really well these games uh, represent a great value proposition um, not necessarily my favourite games but from a, an objective perspective I think these games do deserve to be here. Maybe not as high, but they do deserve to be there. Mm. I, I I agree that this deserves to be on the list, and I think that it's in the right place as well, um, just for the value alone. The value of five pretty good games um, for you know the, the price of one, effectively. And you have to throw in the argument in there that a lot of people class Half-Life 2 as potentially one of the, the greatest games of all time, um, and, yeah. and some people would say it even surpasses Ocarina of Time. I don't think I'd go that far. It is a, you know, the, the series is is a group of great games. Not massively my cup of tea, but I enjoyed them well enough. Um, and obviously, it's got their fans. And obviously, there's been people pushing for years to get a, a third Half Life game. This series means a lot to a lot of people. Um, and yeah, it it didn't set my world on fire. But then again, the Orange Box has got Portal included in it and Portal 2 is one of my favourite games ever um, and what Portal 2 did obviously started off in, in Portal 1 so yeah I think this is in the right place for the amount of stuff that's on offer here for the, the quality of it and for how well it's held up um, so yeah I, I think we're in agreement that it, it deserves its place on the top 100 doesn't it yeah yeah it was nice to, to play them all and I'm looking forward to eventually getting to Half-Life Alex. Yes, at some point. We haven't got that much further to go, though, until we get to the end of the list. So we're uh, we're getting there soon. But, uh, yes, bloody lovely. 2023. Yes, around then, I reckon. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we've already mentioned that next, next week we're going to be doing um, God of War from 2018 because, obviously, we pushed it back. Uh, it was supposed to be this week, but we need a bit more time with it. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to recording that. I'm... I'm quite a few hours ahead of you at the moment, aren't I? Um, but I'm really enjoying yes. it. So it should be a good episode. And then after that, we're taking a week off. 
and then we're back with two more games and then our Halloween special. So we've got uh, quite a, a, a busy... A real special Halloween special. A what? A what? <laughs> a real... A, a, I'm, being, I'm being serious. A really special Halloween special in, in the game that we've mm. played. Yeah, it should, be, it should be a good one. I've never played it before. Um, but we'll we'll hold that for now. So yes, until next week when we, we've got God of War... That's pretty much it. But as always, if you want to reach out to us, we're on email at the long short of it podcast at hotmail.com. We're on the social medias, the long short of it podcast. Uh, and if you enjoy listening to us, please, you know, consider giving us a rating or a, a follow or whatever it is people do on these social media jargon things these days. Um, but we, we hope that you, you've been enjoying the past 80 something and on to the, the final final run i suppose um final question for you will you be dressing as mr Mr. blobby Blobby? yeah i thought that was coming i was wondering when you're going to throw in the obligatory mr blobby reference i will be dressing as mr blobby for halloween um however that will be no different from any other day because i I do dress like him every day um as noel edmonds is my my life coach and some might say spiritual guide um and your dad and yeah well he's one of my dads um and you can I'll, I'll dress as Mr. Blobby and you can dress as Mr. Diddler. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they've both got something in common, haven't they? And on that bombshell, <laughs> anything else from you? No, that's it from me. Excellent. Well, we'll see you next week for God of War. And in the meantime, take care. Cheerio. See you on the next one.